Hi, friends. Welcome to Fast Friends Forever. I'm August Woody. My pronouns are they, them. I'm Natsu Twin. My pronouns are he, him. I'm Tyler Fieldhouse, and my pronouns are also they, them. All right. Today, we're going to be talking about Captain We're Sinking and their second album, The Future is Cancelled, which was released on Run for Cover Records in May of 2013. So Captain We're Sinking is a punk band from Scranton, Pennsylvania. They have released three full-length albums. Something that I did know before going into this was that singer Bobby Barnett is the brother of Greg Barnett, who is one of the two singers in The Menzingers. What I did not know, <laughs> um, and I found out while researching, is that they started Captain We're Sinking back when they were in high school, and one of the original drummers was Mike May, who also used to be in Tiger's Job, but he's the brother of the second Menzinger singer, Tom May. So there's a lot of intermingling going on with this band. They've got a lot of roots with that Scranton scene. The Scranton roots run real deep. I did not know the, the May brothers on a Captain We're Sinking and Tiger's Jaw. That's kind of neat. I mostly didn't know Tiger's Jaw was from there because I, for when I think Scranton and I'm not thinking The Office, I only think the Menzingers and... Motionless and white. <laughs> Motionless and white. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I, you know, our singer Asha's favorite band. So I have to know that they are from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yeah, there's a lot of bands that came out of that scene around that time. And Bobby said in an interview that he did with NEPA scene last year, he basically said that this album, The Future is Cancelled, was only made because of Tiger's Jaw. All of the band members, Captain Were Sinking, were living in different places when the album was written. And it was basically Ben from Tiger's Jaw who told them that they needed to get shit together and go out on tour with them, make some money from merch, and then go into the studio. So that's what they did. And that's how this album was made. That's really wild. Right, am I allowed to like not seem like the world's biggest fan of them and say that I, I didn't know any of that? <laughs> like... Like this record is, it became my favorite record. It, it checks all my boxes probably more than any other record. But I only know them because Guilt has played Fest for a couple years. And one year I was just like, you know, I, I don't know every band ever. I only know most of them. And uh, <laughs> I saw the word captain and my brain said right away, Grey Captain, you know, the, the Andy Hull uh, side project. And I was like, oh, and then I was like, oh, no, that's that's not that. But I thought it was a cool name. And I listened to it. I was like, this is a really good record. It was, you know, when they were going to play The Future is Cancelled. And then I went to see them live. And I was like, this is it. This is my new favorite band. Like, it just it just all like synced up. Like, it was, it's a very non-research intensive relationship that I have to the album. So I enjoyed hearing that stuff and being like, oh, I've learned something today. Yeah, everybody is allowed to know things on many different levels, and that's totally chill. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just not usually such a like a like an intuitive person. Like I usually like, really deep deep dive like artists and, and like like distinctly care about them as like an individual creator and follow all their you know side projects. But for some reason, this record really is just special to me on its own merits, devoid of like any other relationships, anything else. <laughs> I don't have that same, uh, I, guess, I guess, relationship with the band or the record. I haven't listened to them much. Let me sell you it, on it. Like, let me let me spend the next two hours selling you on this record. <laughs> Dog, I was already sold, but like, sure, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. What, what, one thing I looked about, you know, what uh, August, what August said about you know, Tiger's Jaw. They're like, you gotta get together, get your shit together, and do this. 
Like in some an old interview, they're like, "Yeah, we recorded this record in four days, and we just banged it out. Did our some tracks in a day and a half. Finish up the guitar and vocals over the next few. Mix it four days because a lot of the songs already had. You know, they've been practicing them. There's some older songs they had, but never did anything with them, and they just boom bang bobbity. Here's the album, and for an album for four days, I think I wouldn't have known. It sounds. Yeah, so that's rad. that's really wild to know because I think one of the things that I think is cool about it is that there's touchstones of themes and even like you know like lyrical motifs that recur throughout. So I yes. I always was just like, oh, it's it's a perfect album because it it is a one contained unit. But that, that's also how I feel about um the last thing you forget. Yeah, the last thing you forget from Title Fight, and then people are like, you know, it's just a collection of like random old songs, and I'm like, I could have fooled me. <laughs> <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with a collection of old songs you know you put them together you spruce them up and they sound newer than ever i mean when you i think when you are an art person like you have a distinct voice and even if you might go through different periods in your life there is generally a connective tissue through all of your work so you can like you could take any like of my songs and I'll go through and be like, did I already use this lyrical idea? Because it's just like, it feels right. It feels intuitive to me. And then I'm like, Oh, I already said that like six years ago. Oops. <laughs> I love it when bands reuse their shit though. So no, I love it when it's as purposeful as I feel it is on this album. I, I really, really appreciate bands being like we have our themes we have our ideas and we're gonna hammer it out in like every direction possible and really let you absorb different angles on it like i think that's that's awesome yeah that's how i feel listening to iron chic sometimes because i mean i love it in the complete best way i love iron chic but from all all their albums i'm like this is a lot of these things sound very similar but it's so it's so good it's great song throughout about punk right like that's the thing of you know like we're all talking about fest bands and we're talking about you know fest in general i think the ambiguous genre that is like quote unquote a fest band like it, it comes from punk and punk's whole thing is simplicity and repetition and like low bar of entry mm-hmm. so you're gonna enter these areas where you know bands sound similar to one another the songs from a certain band sound similar to one another and there's a certain acceptance in the, that community that there's not an expectation that everything has to be a completely different single. Like you would have like a pop artist, you know, in, in this category, it's like, I really like that my artist, you know, in this band really likes to cover this one territory. And I have every slight variant flavor of that territory covered through them. Great point. I think a lot of, you know, maybe, you know, literally that pop artists, how they, the t- typical, I said, releasing singles, things leading up. When you think about a sound, uh, I think a lot of, artists people that stick to certain genres could really take a page out of that book right what do you do well what do you like to do what themes you like to cover what's the sound you really enjoy and how do you deepen that how do you evolve that how do you mix and match it you know really exploring what you do and yeah i think yeah, punk bands as you said really hit that nail really hard if we love like i love it yeah no a hundred percent and you know not to say i think captain we're sinking is obviously I, I don't want to sound derogatory, but like more more than a punk band, you know, I think that they are, I would consider them like almost like a post-hardcore band because there's so many genre switches and theatrics throughout each of the songs that it, it, it like, it's not exactly mosh music, you know, it's, you're not going to get a, a circle pit going to Captain We're Sinking because the future is canceled. Maybe. <laughs> you, it's, <laughs> and it's like, and you can for some songs like Lake, 
that is the slammiest oh song. God. It's it's so good and heavy. But then some of the other ones, it's like they don't exactly hit the point of like sarcastically chipper, but it, it really rides all the emotional lines and different moods and different rhythms throughout the moods. But yeah, I don't know. I oh, this is gonna be so much fun. I I'm such a dweeb for this album. i'm so excited all right all right well the first track on the album is called adultery yeah i mean like i don't know uh my best friend is my dog so i i have to like this song (laughs) (laughs) yeah i like how it's like the first half of it starts out pretty fucking goofy like i drink more milk than she does see okay so that part that's what i was saying where i was like it's not it's like almost cheeky it's not like funny but it's one of those really like out of left field lyrics that i think it's a thing like the front bottoms do well where it's like it's such a specific lyric of like a mundane activity that it feels hyper personal and um i think it's a thing that a lot of people can like relate to despite it being just like an odd statement and the riff that's happening during that is one of the things that i think that they do really well that's like why i would qualify it as like post hardcore because it's like that's like a panic chord that's if the, if they played that as like a chord, it would be like a knock loose chord. But the way that they're doing it has that really like 90s kind of like emotionally unsettling, like, I guess, yeah. vibe. And uh, it reminds me of Drive like, I don't know if it's Jihu or Jehu, but y- y'all know that band. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of like Yank Crime and it, it just gives the Sonic Youth Pixies, whatever, like 90s alternative weirdo vibes and that lyric is so oddball that i think it's it's so well placed <laughs> and they hit that a couple a good amount of times throughout this record you know um yeah i think especially was sent for me for this song this and there's another song on the album that i will probably remember when we get to it but uh starting having lyrics that again like out of left field out there kind of really image piercing like strong strong imagery i like to taste your insides they fall through your nose i'm like all right i'm listening i'm my attention <laughs> is here what does yeah. that mean and it has nothing well it does but also doesn't have much else to do with the rest of the song and i like how frantic it is right like yeah I, the song just feels everywhere which again which is almost like what's the whole point of the song the song feels everywhere you got lyrics out left field i like to taste your insides and my best friend is my dog <laughs> yeah i i think it, I, again i kind of purposefully don't go out of my way to learn about this album because it it feels like they made it for me and it feels like all of the lyrics and all of the motifs are really specific to my experience in my life so i really don't want them to be like oh no i just made up words you know like <laughs> i don't want to know that but it, you know in my kind of like interpretation of this i think this is you know setting you up for the record and it's like introducing the characters in a good way because there is a lot of this like we have a relationship that's very tumultuous and they're setting the narrator you know is like setting themselves up as kind of a weirdo like um she doesn't love me but she loves my mom like it's a very like oddly specific situation where it's like they're downing themselves in a way that i think a lot of emotive pop punk bands do where it's like i'm such a loser you know but like in these kind of like artsy phrases and then it's like i don't like you but you're in my head and then we hung out and you know they're they're both smoking i don't do and i'm straight edge so i don't know if that's a reference to drugs or just cigarettes i don't think weed turns your lungs black but uh you know they're they're just kind of doing the like again the 90s like oh we're so like 
disaffected and we're just gonna like stare at the world as it explodes and then like the we got tattooed and bruises part i was like are they in like an abusive relationship and the narrator is questioning that but also the refrain being like i'm leaving you but you're in my head like i i feel like that's just like the premise of the album is like i'm kind of a fuck up the the person i'm romantically interested in is kind of a fuck up everybody in my life is kind of a fuck up yeah and this is just like a kind of like working class blue collar story of normal people who just have like regular shitty lives yep and there's no answer right yeah there's there's never there's never any like solution a lot of the i feel like the proposed lyrical solutions have to do with like leaving but then it's always like but i'm thinking about you or i miss you or you know like whatever or like i'm drunk again (laughs) a lot of a lot of that i'm just i'm drunk again that's the answer right and well no that's no solution so my favorite band growing up like the the specifically the artist who shaped my my entire personality is max bemis from say anything say anything was like my band growing up as i got into college like i had owned dejan tendu by brand new for a long time but i started dating somebody who that was their favorite band and so i really started absorbing that and i think like a weird way say anything had kind of prepped me to be into that kind of like introspective like emo like i don't know um i I think brand new did a special thing specifically with like the devil and god are raging inside me where it was a little bit more artsy it was less reliant on hooks and the narrator was this like i'm an absolute piece of shit person i have all these thoughts and feelings and i really related to that and then obviously you know you come to find out that he actually was a piece of shit person, which, you know, I think people can like, you know, have problems and make mistakes and stuff, but like you shouldn't be just like straight up auto bio telling on yourself and being a creep. So when I had to dethrone the devil and God is my favorite record and brand new was like the band that I was really like, I wish I was in a band that sounded like this and talked about these things. That's when I found this record. And I was like, this is the not canceled you know, devil and God for me, like it, it touches on religious motifs in the same way, relationship issues in the same way, substance abuse in the same way, but they're not a- like actual bad people. That is, that is why the record is like my favorite record. It is like by default, it touches on some of the most like heinous kind of like mundane topics without them actually being bad people to my knowledge. Sorry, was yeah. that too dark? No, no, that's, that's what we're going for here. It's all good. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's a solid cap to adultery. To adultery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like heavy themes on this album, adultery, as you said earlier, adultery hints at everything you're going to hear and go through on this 37 minute journey of an album. And yeah. yeah, it's it's a lot of themes that seem mundane, that seem like, oh, of course people deal with that. But in a very, on a, on a, on a deeper and more personal level, and as you said, this, this album is very like it was made for you. And I think, I think it's after listening to it a couple, like a couple times over the weekend, it's hard to find a better album that can really encapsulate that. Yeah. Then. Yeah. If you, I think, I don't know anything about Scranton, Pennsylvania, but it sure feels like Florida from the way they describe it. And I feel like if you're <laughs> from anywhere that either is geographically in the Southern part of America or spiritually the South, like I feel like you've lived the experiences that they're like tossing out there. I think absolutely. All right. Well, the next track on the album is called Brother. I love this song. It's probably one of my favorites. 
So I always think about this song in relation to a Menzinger song, the song Sunday Morning, which came out in 2009. So it, it did come out four years before this one. And the song Sunday Morning has a section in it where they repeat the lines, don't worry, brother, this will blow over. And then in this song, they're repeating, my brother, are you okay? Yeah. And it always feels like they're talking to each other. And in my head, that's what it feels like. So, okay. Like I said, I walked in not knowing about the the Menzingers connection. And like, I don't want to be like, this ruins the song for me. But for, you know, for them to be like, you know, we we both escaped that place. That's a very like typical, again, like pop punk thing. Or just if you grew up in the South, you're like, I want to get out of here. You know, like this place is a shithole. I need to leave. And I interpreted, you know, the the song only thinking that, you know, this narrator, you know, this person in this band is like the one that's in a band. So it's like they're the one that has like, you know, fame or acclaim or whatever. So the idea that the the brother, like you know, the sibling that isn't in the spotlight is the one that's been propping this them up the whole time, I thought was a very kind of like touching idea. And then now knowing this about the Menzingers, it's like, oh, it's actually flip-flopped. So it was more like somebody who had probably already made it out first or, you know, was already seeing a path out, kind of reaching the hand back and grabbing them. And I, I think that's that's a cool narrative too. It's it's but it's the exact opposite of how I had imagined the song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they're both talking about the past anyhow. They're both talking about just being like a townie, which is just one of my favorite topics. It's why I like drug church, you know, half their songs are just about being a townie. And it's not necessarily judgmental because they definitely include themselves in that. Yeah. And you know, a, a lot more than you know just being a townie a lot of like uh i guess what comes with some sometimes being a townie the the depression anxiety you know they both battled and dealt with alcoholism and it's loads and loads of that and i think you know saying that we both escaped that place is both very like physical getting out of scranton also both very mental oh 100 uh, yeah you know whatever that place is just a figure of desolate mental state right i think it um I think it really, really hit that. And at Fest, and actually on the song, at Fest 12, Captain was singing set, Bobby introduced the song saying, the next song is called Brother. It's a little sappy. It's about my brother. And, and he points off the stage to Craig, who's standing at the side of the stage. There he is. It's actually about my family, who I love very much, which I guess also adds to the meaning of the song, too. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting choice. To know that it is truly, you know, just a, a sappy kind of like love letter and thank you to the, you know, a person who probably gave them a helping hand. And I do think that it's it's one of those things where it's like when I think about this record, I think about all the, you know, what I like about it is all the very emotionally heavy, like depressing stuff. And, you know, you start with adultery and you have like your your big Tom intro and stuff. And then you hit this song. It's the second song. And immediately it's got that riff. But the thing, and it's like, it's so like upbeat and cheery and like, but the lyrics are so depressing. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a very, like, again, I, I just, I keep thinking like ironic is not the, the right word. Cause they're not a band that plays into that. A lot of like nineties tinged bands are ironic and they're very, I think earnest, but it's, it's a purposeful mood shift. I feel like, especially as a second song, it's like, they're not going to let you just coast through the album. It's not going to be a smooth ride. It's like bumpy the entire time, which is something mm-hmm. I personally really love about an album in its entirety. But I also know that that's a thing that makes you lose so much money as an artist. Like people just want a record to be like one mood and maybe have like one ballad or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they said not, definitely not. Really bold choice having Brother be the second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's like, it's interesting. And uh, when I first started listening to the record, I didn't, I don't know why I was doing this, but I was listening to it on, not on Spotify, I was listening to it on YouTube. And the video that I was watching had the record out of order. So when I finally started listening to it on Spotify, my like mental, how I, you know, you, you hear the song ending and you start playing the next song in your head already, like it was all wrong. And then wow. I listened to the correct track listing and I was like, it's all just such a a roller coaster. It kind of works in every direction as long as the closer is the closer, which I think it was the first song in the in the YouTube video <laughs> I was watching. And I was like, this is so much better as a closer. But yeah, I personally, this is just Tyler lore. Am I allowed to give Tyler lore out or do Absolutely. I have to? Okay. <laughs> it's um, all new, dog. My 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 very first band, I had a song about my oldest childhood friend. We've known each other since we were eight years old. And we like we just like grew up together. And I would always be like, that's my brother. And like we're you know, we're not related, but we just we spent every weekend together. We were in Boy Scouts together. And um she's transitioned since then. So the you know, the phrase has kind of changed. But um I had a song about that you know, back in the day before she had transitioned. And so when I heard this song, it was very like, that's what I always said. I was like, this song, this, this record was written about my life. You know, like we were each other's kind of like touchstones, even though we were very different as people, we were together all the time. And we, and we were like pretty much the only people that we would talk about the way we were feeling like as children who didn't understand their own feelings. And uh, I don't know, I, I the, it is a sappy song, I guess if that's their own description of it, but I do think it's a very real feeling. And I, I don't think it's as sappy as like a lot of like country music. That's like, I love my mama. She was the best to me. Or, you know, it's like, I think there's songs where, you know, you can do a tribute song. It's, it's there's nothing wrong with it, but I don't personally find it to be like, like a cornball Hallmark gift card of a song. I find it to be very poignant. Mm -hmm. I love my mama. <laughs> Listen, you know, like, <laughs> She was a hardworking woman. Like, I I love country music. Don't get me wrong. I like the oh hey the the Kanye song Mama or Hey Mama. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, again, Kanye fell off. I yes, I, I'm not allowed to like bands or artists because they all get canceled. Uh, which is why I think the title of the album is ironic because they're like one of my not problematic faves. <laughs> Damn, they were almost the gift of prophecy right there. That I'm talking yeah. think that <laughs> wow. But uh, like yeah, the song is sappy. Now again, as you said, not in the overly draw my love for Felina type of sappy. But yeah, uh, like I think of my brother. You know, my little brother's here back from college, and like no, we have not had experiences on the level that Greg and um yeah and Bobby have gone through, you know, or remotely. But I, I I I do love and care for my brother. You know, that's yeah. I think you I think you can interpret, you know, my my brother made sure I didn't die as so many things, you know. Absolutely. And I think honestly, what is it? An Anina. Again, I don't know how to pronounce the name exactly because I've only heard it in my own head, but I think like the following song is very similar in that where there's like a character being described that I feel resembles relationships I've had in my life. And again, it feels like a tribute, but it doesn't feel sappy. Although I, I do think it definitely puts the knife in your gut a lot more than brother does. Yeah. Yeah. I really hope the title, I, I swear to God, if y'all are like the title is a reference to somebody who died, I'm going to be <laughs> upset. Like, I don't want to know the lore of the song. I just want to, 
<laughs> Please don't tell me the lore. <laughs> I respect that so much. No, and, and I genuinely don't know, and I couldn't really tell you how to pronounce it properly either. So, Anina, we will miss you. Is the next track, and we can we can start talking about that now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the takeaway, if I'm staring at the lyrics, is like that person's probably dead. Yeah. God damn, I don't mean to sound so dismissive about this person's death, but the person is dead and everything leading up to that. In this song, other bands from Scranton, where I think another thorough line of people that have lived in similar places, similar Italian places in Florida, in the Northeast, in you know, Pennsylvania, in the West, of the prevalence of drugs, right? Yeah. And just the the roller coaster gut wrench of going from this probably the most positive song on the album, my brother. And then you come down to someone who potentially overdosed something else. And it's just like, take me home. And like, we can't come for you. We, we cannot take you home. I was like, well, I'm not lonely anymore. It's, um, it's damn sad. Yeah. I think even the, again, like on a strictly musical level, the way that they're introing brother with that riff and then that fun little drum fill. And then the way that they're introing this song that it's just the most beautiful melody and you know and he's going over the melody identically with the, with the vocals and it's just like it's so sweet and sad and it's a totally different kind of tribute to somebody and it's setting up such a different mood that again it's just like you're on this roller coaster you're going to keep meeting these characters and you don't know if they're going to be in the next episode because it's just like mm-hmm. you know but yeah it's just such a, a big shift I don't I don't know y'all personally enough to know how much of this hits and if any of the topics are like taboo to talk about but like personally in my life I've had people like very close to me like attempt suicide you know specifically by taking pills mm-hmm. I've like had to like hospitalize friends I've had to like be the contact for people and visit people in the hospital all of this is like so specifically for me, I've had friends like overdose and die. It's, uh, the, I think the, again, the, the mundanity of the, she took, she took a handful of pills, washed them down with Pepsi and said, my turn to be happy. I was like, it's the Pepsi. It's the part that it's like, oh, it's just yeah. soda, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. it's the like brutal mundanity of the activity. And then like the, the rationale presented is just like, I just don't want to be sad anymore. I completely understand where like assumedly that's anina speaking like you know that where she's coming from like like you don't want her to do it but like you understand or you know it at least i understand where her head is at and like again having watched somebody do that like straight up in front of me it's like i i don't like it i don't like that feeling but i recognize it and it's like dear to me Again, I'm so sorry. This is so heavy. I, I, August was like, do you want to talk about an album you like? I'm just like, I like such upsetting things. <laughs> Fest is like, I don't know, it's so fun and, and happy. And I mean, to me, th- these are memories of like, even stuff like this, like my friends who are gone, like I cherish the time that I had with them and we spent a lot of time talking about music and stuff. So like, there's still memories that I want to dwell on, but yeah, I know it's not the same as like, I don't know, like a descendants record, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, that's okay. Like I know all the bands that have played fest will play fest and play other festivals. Not all those bands are necessarily quote unquote, you know, like super positive fun time. Right. Yeah bands but it's the environment that you're in you know you got a, a hundred other people singing every lyric to the most depressing shit you've ever heard in your life 
but you're not yeah. depressed and you're not in that low point because there's this crowd and there's this relatability, this very cathartic feeling that you're going through. You know, like like as you're saying, um, this song reminds you of. For me, the talking about loneliness on this song hits me because I've I've had also I've also had a couple of friends, people that attempted suicide or have passed away from overdosing or whatnot. I think of my friend in high school that I kind of was estranged. We didn't like talk a bit as we too much. We got to high school, things get, you know got different. You know, we split apart. Still, still we loved, loved, really loved each other. Like always in my head, you know, Willie Wilfredo. I didn't really see him. And then one day, my friend Joel comes up. He says, "Hey, do you hear what happened to Willie?" I'm like, "No." It'd be overdosed. Yeah. That's the way it's like, it's like junior, sophomore year, high school. And there was someone in middle school, like every day we're hanging out with and we just grew apart. And then I had a friend who was away from the country and was lonely and has had a couple attempts way outside of outside the country. And the thing of loneliness, I'm like, y'all were, you know, lonely physically. I wasn't there. I couldn't help in any way. And then lonely in Whatever pain you are feeling afterwards, sure. whether you know if you unfortunately they passed or they survive, thank God. And I'm just sitting here like, damn. In some shape or form, there's no more thinking. I'm lonely at that point, or you're forced to come back. I'm like, I can't help. I feel so bad. But having the song like laid out and knowing other people can listen to this and feel like that at fest, I think it's it's you know. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely understand and agree. I, I'm okay. I'm going to give you another piece of Tyler Lord that might flavor this in a weird way. I, I can't get through an interview or a podcast or anything without talking about my mental health. Cause I don't know, whatever. It's like one of the main topics that we always tackle as a band. So I ended up getting diagnosed with obsessive compulsive personality disorder, which is like basically like real harsh black and white thinking, really serious, like morality issues and like like being like i i must be like a good person and i conflate certain actions with being a good person and um i don't work well with people who i don't associate with you know being similar to me and when i was younger like high school age i guess i was very like i was an all a student i would like sit by myself at lunch with my headphones in and even in college i was very like isolated and I purposely isolated myself and I was very judgmental of people. I was like, I don't want to be around anybody who's not on the same life trajectory as me, you know, who has the same, you know, goals that I view as virtuous, which is like working hard, doing what you're told. The kids who would like party or whatever, kids who like again, I've been straight edge my whole life. People who drank or smoked or anything, I was like, I'm never gonna associate with you. Like I think you're bad people. And then I grew up i you know I, I i started being in bands and i started meeting people and i learned more about mental health and i started exploring you know myself more and realizing that like people who have problems or you know do, do things that i would view as like incorrect you know they have a problem they're not necessarily choosing to be a certain way mm -hmm. and uh i i opened my like mind and i opened my heart to people in a way that i wasn't i completely was not capable of when i was younger and so like characters like this, you know, in this story, like when I was very young, I would have probably looked at these people and been like, I just don't care what happens to you because I think you brought this on yourself, you know? And then as I grew older and I had more people close to me, like I, I had somebody in my twenties that very similar to the lyric, she, she used to just hang out because her parents didn't want her to be at home and she would just smoke in her car and self-harm and the, the bloodstained filter of the cigarette and the, the very cold 
she wipes the blood from her lips and admits she's sick. The, the, the extremely like blank, like, yeah, I'm, I messed up. I got problems. You know, like that's kind of how my friend was. She was very on the nose and upfront about it. And I think at the time in my life when I found this, I, you know, I had such deep care for those people that it's intensified by the fact that I know when I was younger, I didn't, and that that was like wrong of me. And I'm, I'm always feeling like I'm kind of like atoning for being so like judgmental and shitty because I was such a sheltered youth. So as we go through the rest of the thing, just now you get to be like, oh, Tyler's so kind, how they care about people. Like, oh, only from age 24 and up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, hey, being kind at any point, any age is better than living your whole life being very self-centered, right? Like very just not knowing. Like down here in Miami, every time something happens, the whole thing going on on South Beach now about trying to uh, more cleaning up the city of the homeless, right? Like, oh, we can't have them here. Putting in mandates, making it easier for police to literally just arrest people that are homeless on the streets. I'm like, how are you a politician this old? Or how are you just a citizen this place this old? And instead of thinking about other people's situations, you just are like, oh, they did themselves, not my problem, but they can't be here. And I'm not going to help them yeah. properly. You know, I'm not going to help them anyway. I'm just going to criticize them. I see people 40 years old, 50 years old. You know, yeah, they, they just, like, they, they've never been in a situation. In my opinion, it's, it's people who have never been in a situation themselves where they were reliant on others or where they were the fuck up, you know? And yeah. so they just, they purely lack empathy. And so without that, a lot of people have to have gone through an experience in order to care about a thing. And it's upsetting to find that out. But I think, again, like I was saying about, you know, this album, one of the things that I think it does very well is that it doesn't touch on these tones or these themes or these topics in like a condescending way. It's not like saying anything necessarily about the morality of these characters. And especially because the narrator is like, I am also, you know, a problem. I also have issues but it does very plainly lay it out as just this is the story of people who all have problems and like they're trying to like love each other or they're trying to help each other but in some ways they hurt each other and make things worse you know it's i think it's a very like honest representation of being a person who either is surrounded by people who have issues or has issues himself or both which i you know in this case both yeah yeah I, i'm trying to be fun i promise it's okay i mean for the record i don't think that there is a single episode that we've recorded so far that hasn't come with some sort of content warning so yeah yeah i realized i I should have (laughs) cleared that beforehand that's okay i put i'll put the content warnings in the show notes but you know the album is going to touch on the topics that it touches on and it's okay for us to explore those yeah if if i can use that as a segue for the future is canceled part one um, Absolutely. I because that's the next one, right? Yeah. 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 One of the things, again, the this isn't like, oh, they're carrying the lyric from song to song, but they they reversed the lyric. Maybe I'd be happier if I didn't think this way. And then if I was happier, would I think this way? I think that kind of encapsulates the point that I'm trying to make with all this as like it's it's not setting up necessarily a cause and effect as like these people have problems so they make bad decisions or these people make bad decisions and it causes them to have problems it's just like it's this eternal the chicken and egg question doesn't really matter or like the trolley problem doesn't matter because things are just bad and you're always left wondering like what is my role in this 
and then when it starts talking about the religious themes it's like you know does god hate me like why you know i'm i'm asking for forgiveness i'm doing the things i'm going through the motions of doing the things that i was told i should do in order to be like absolved of uh, of wrongdoing or of sin and i feel like things are getting better and i don't understand you know why it's happening to me and i like it because it's not a blame it's a question once again, with no answer. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why the future yeah. is canceled. It's just like, just just no more. They just don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> like, what it is, is, right? You know, yeah. Uh, will I be better? Can I get better? Am I better? Am I okay now? I don't know. So like, like the end of the song, Future's Cancel Part 1, is I am nothing. It's no secret anymore. Yeah. If you're nothing, no, no future, you're nothing. And you just go on. Yeah, it's no secret anymore, which is so weird. It's like that's talking about the, the human shame of feeling like the fuck up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then just be kind of confidently owning it, just like Anina being like, you know, I'm sick. You know, I you're right. I need to go back to the hospital or whatever. And like there your life does continue after that, you know, after you admit that you have a problem. <laughs> um I I like to talk to people about their problems. Unsurprisingly, this is like my my cherished topic. Like I, I really don't like to ask how people are doing at their job because I don't care. Like I want to know how their, <laughs> you know, big philosophical life experiences are. But uh, I'm always trying to say like, they're like, oh, it's not an excuse, but it's like, no, it's not an excuse. It's an explanation. And I think explanations are very important. You can cause and affect situations and you can you can see how it happened. And that is a path to growing, but it doesn't excuse behavior. And I, I don't think it has to be conflated. Those two things can be completely separate. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know if y'all had an interpretation of what the the secret or whatever the 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 thing that the narrator in this particular song is feeling like they're hiding. Obviously there's some sort of allusion to being abused as a child, but again, that's setting up them to have problems and their explanation for them having problems is that they were like abused as a child. But they they never really say anything and I never really spent any time thinking if there was a specific topic i was just like this person is just like i'm a fuck up but i don't know if y'all had any thoughts or if you had background knowledge like no i never really thought about it on the deeper level like that i always kind of thought that i mean i i really just looked at it as disappointment comes so easily to me i imagine it's no secret anymore like that that right there seems like everything that they're trying to say yeah I, I agree. I think for something that really stands on the merits of its extreme specifics at certain times, this is a time where the very general statement is it's not a cop out. It's just a good kind of thesis. You know, like we're we're hitting a touchstone, you know, we're a couple songs into the record. It's the title track. I think it's a good time for a big broad statement. And I don't I don't think that it's a bad thing at all. Yeah. I think um the secret the narrative is talking about uh the closet. Yep, yeah, I think it's just open-ended right because it can be anything right uh, of course if you look at the uh what's it called the topics discussed on the album is it ex- uh, extreme alcoholism is it the shame from depression from being depressed and feel like right. you you know the shame from that is it maybe it's again some, it's something religious is it related to the parents like the lyrics after let the guilty have regrets let the parents have the sins shouldn't pay for them and you know but whatever it is it's it's out there the secret's out there the neighbors know it they know what the closet is and it you're not and it leads up to the disappointment comes so easily i'm nothing it doesn't matter if they see it you're i'm stuck in my thinking i'm stuck in thinking would i be happy if i didn't think this way or if i was happier would i think this way it's done yeah 
Yeah, I agree. It's it's so funny that that's the title track, and it's like the least to talk about, you know, because it's just so yeah. exactly what it is, you know. Yeah, and that they immediately kinda, resume like hitting up like these like character vignettes after. <laughs> yeah, they go. <laughs> it's kind of like an interlude, almost in a way. You know, I feel like yeah, the future is cancel part one. You could place it before or after any song on this album, and it kind of fits like a Lego piece because it's open ended. 100%. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but that is completely true. It really and that's it's a smart play that it's the title track. You know, it's it's a smart play that there is no the, the future is canceled part 2. You know, it's it's just so open-ended. So, yeah, do we want to talk about Montreal? <laughs> yeah, I think Montreal was the single from the album. Jesus Christ. Yes, yeah, it was the single. <laughs> that's cuz uh, you know, uh, you know what you have to put a content warning on us just talking about lyrics that they're explicitly stating this one opens up with domestic abuse you yep. know like that's crazy to use that as the single i really what a time when record labels were like yeah you guys have stuff that's never going to make it on the radio here's a bucket of money for that yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know um bobby was talking about how they released the album with run for cover and how they were really happy that run for cover literally let them do whatever they wanted he said that if they hadn't have let them do it exactly how they wanted to then they would have just been like all right well we're not a band anymore (laughs) so yeah i mean uh, i think they they're definitely a band that like in the, the same way the devil and god was the it's the cult classic. It's the art kid record. It's going to sell more vinyls than it does sell tickets to shows. I think that Captain Resinking is doing the same thing where it's like, I think they must have known they had something that somebody would hold very dear to them. And the record label is still going to make their money back on vinyl and merch and stuff. Like they don't need to really go the same way as a, a traditional like pop punk band that's trying to create like a good crowd energy and a good brand recognition with like, having something you can stream or listen to while you're mowing the grass. Like this is a turn the lights off, sit in your room, think about your feelings, top to bottom record. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a very special niche thing. If you have somebody who sees the vision and believes in it. Yeah. Well, I do have a story about this song because this was oh, the one <laughs> I did kind of get into Captain We're Sinking because of the song. And it's weird because when you, so when you listen to it, the recording, the part where they're saying, have you seen my life? It's like, I don't Mm -hmm. even try. That part isn't, I wanted to mention earlier that there are so many parts of this album that are so fun to sing. Mm -hmm. They're like, and I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just, if it has to do with just the fact that my vocal range happens to line up with it nicely, but (laughs) no, it's, it's not, it's, it's the lyric. I guarantee it's, it's so good. Ugh. Yeah, or it's the and, melody or whatever. It's the arrangement. Yeah. So I would say, like, have you seen my life? It's like I don't even try. Like they're not they're not belting that lyric, but when I saw them play live at I can't even tell you which fest it was. They were playing at what did Rocky's piano bar used to be called before it was Rocky's? Oh, geez. Yeah, I'm, um blanking. But I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so that's where they were playing. And I just watched during that part when they were singing have you seen my life it's like i don't even try somebody had what had to be a full can of beer and they were just slinging it all over the crowd 
And something about that and like the way that people were getting so pumped for that song, like that is how I got into Captain We're Sinking. And that feels like such a quintessential Fest moment in my memory. Fest is so interesting because, you know, like I, in my brain, it's like Furnace Fest is where all the aging millennial emos go, right? And Fest is like (laughs) where the aging millennial punks go. But as as the years roll on and there's more and more like emo adjacent bands, like, I, you know, those are the same kids, like the kids who like the, the D beat stuff are the same ones that do want to get in their feelings about that stuff. And yet there's this special crossover at things like Fest where like the, the beer slinging is such like a celebratory song type thing. And this is such a downer, but it's like, it's, I think not to use the word cathartic earlier. I think that's, that's the big word, right? It's the, that's the big idea in the room is like celebrating something that is a sit alone in your, in your room and cry record with a group of people who you can assume have had extremely similar life experiences to you, or if they haven't, aren't the kind of people who have to have had the same life experience to get you. Like they'll inherently support you. Like fest is so special for that. And I always champion fest whenever we're, you know, touring around and talking to people for the, for that feeling. It, it just doesn't feel, it feels like a group of friends, even in a room of strangers. Yeah. Yeah, yep. exactly. And it does feel, I mean, it, the whole, have you seen my life? It's like, I don't even try. It's the, it's the relatability and mm-hmm. the excitedness that somebody is saying something that you've been feeling. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. That, and that's every, like, you know, I'm the lyricist of, of my band. Like that's, that's my dream is and that's a thing that I've gotten to experience is actually we just we just played a festival in date like Daytona adjacent and somebody stood you know as you, you know you're doing the thing where you break down and we're the last one on the stage so we're taking our time but there was a you know person closer to my age I'm in my 30s for context who was just standing there so politely until the very very end and then as I was packing up, I'm like, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I can tell you wanted to talk. And, you know, and she was like, no, it's good. I'm a music teacher. And I just started teaching like at, a, at like an elementary school. Like, you know, so it's, you know, an entry level music program. And she's like, but I w- wanted to kind of like dust the cobwebs off the creative gears. So I was reading my old diaries for like song ideas. And I realized that I was in love with my high school best friend. And I realized this, you know, 12 years too late or whatever. And I, I'm not going to be able to do anything with that feeling. You know, I just realized it and it's too late. And she was like, you know, your, I don't remember what song it was, but she was like, you know, that song hit me so hard and it was so specific to me. Can I hug you? And she like hugged me. And I was like, that's, that's the dream as a lyricist is that you, you hit somebody that hard in a way that is good for them. Mm-hmm. Damn. Oh, I, I love looking at this record and being like, which one of these should I get as a tattoo? <laughs> um, I mean, for me, it's the I deserve to be happy. I am dead again. But like, have you seen my life? It's like I don't even try as a strong second place. It's a uh, going back to what you said, Tyler, about the mundane. On this album. I feel like it's something I've said in passing in different shapes, different shape and form. And like other people said it, but it hits so hard. Like what, you know, August was saying, just I think there's a reason why people are slinging beer at yeah. whatever venue before Rockies to that line. Have you seen my life? It's like, I don't even try it. It's mundane. It's something kind of simple. We've all probably said it, thought about that at some point. You know, I'm like, I'm not trying. I'm just trying to make it by day by day. But the way how they execute it and you get a crowd of people just... And I can only imagine being in a band and having someone 
relate to what you write like that, like that you said, having someone come up and say, this means a lot to me. You know, I feel like that, I feel like that cathartic, very sing-along, very chanting emotion that whirlwind, I'll assume, goes hand in hand back and forth from the listener, the audience, and the band, the musicians, if people yeah. saying it. I, I don't know if we just want to like ping this one lyric forever, but I do feel like the three of us at least can have a discussion about I feel like being an alternative person or being a punk or however, you know, you might identify yourself. I, I, I would not say that the fest crowd is like quote unquote normies. You know, there's there's some some no. flavor about you. I do think that despite the fact that like whatever punk rock has been mainstream for years, like actually being an alternative person, no matter how visible it might be on you, there is kind of like an aura that I think turns some people off and makes people judgmental. And especially if you are an artist in some way in America, you know, you're probably giving up some material comforts and living a lifestyle that may be considered even deviant to some people. And it's the the, the internalized how and there's a term for like men who have like internalized hostility because they're treated like they're hostile. But like I think alternative people are are like, you know, punks are like, oh, punks are scary because they have studs on their jacket. And so you're treated like an animal in a cage. And so you end up acting like that. And I have always interpreted this lyric to be this kind of like sarcastic, like you think that I, you know, I'm not putting in any effort. And so I'm going to tell you that I'm not putting in any effort because it would be harder for me to admit that I'm trying really hard all the time. Um, and that's how I always interpreted that as kind of like feeding into the negative stereotype that somebody might have of you as in like a, like a self-defense mechanism. But I can also see it as almost like a celebration of being like, you know what? I don't even give a fuck. <laughs> like, yeah. but, uh, that goes really deep for me, you know, it, at least in my interpretation of it. That's really interesting. I didn't, I never thought of it like that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yes. All right, you know what? Yep. This one we can we can message them and be like, "Hey, listen to the podcast. Tell Tyler if they were right and update the." <laughs> but other than that, I don't want to know anything about the record. <laughs> no lore. All right, no lore, guys. Yeah. I uh, also, I guess this is Tyler lore. My my dad is a pastor, so like all all the religious stuff hits real real good for me. Yeah, I, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and like my dad is like a research type person um he he like goes to bible college and you know really like cares about translations and like interpretations and stuff and so the the kind of like offhanded quirky you died once to save me from my sins uh yeah i've got more than i can count can you die for me again it's it's such a fun little quippy line and it's such like a tight little jab that i think if you are somebody who either is religious or has religious family that I think that you can appreciate that in, in a cheeky way. That was my only other like big note about the song. No, for sure. Also, growing up in a very religious family, as an African background, it's very hard to find like an African family that's not religious in some shape or form. You know, every Sunday, what's your Bible verse not to go to church, Sunday school, all the youth group XYZs, going to my grandma in Liberia to like her like church's marriage counseling because she did that and having all that being so come right there with you on that and all the all the religious lyrics just because they they hit that little twinge in my brain i'm like oof, great quip great cheek yes yeah exactly i think this this one doesn't have to be so like particularly upsetting although i do think you know they do paint the vignette i guess in my opinion the way that they're using the the religious elements is like 
again, it's kind of being a townie or being from a place where people are are religious out of habit as opposed to as a philosophical or intellectual or spiritual like pursuit. It's more of like, this is how I was raised and this is what you do. And the the drunk off wine, but sobering up with bread is like, you're you're not even doing the the ritual, you know, in the way it's intended. You're just like, you're just doing what you want to do. Like you wanted to get drunk. So you're doing it under the guise of, you know, the religious motifs that you grew up with. I, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's going to be like nine hours if you let me keep going about this album. <laughs> yeah. I, so there's this thing, I don't know if y'all know this about me, but like, the first show that I ever played, I was also the booker and like promoter and door person. <laughs> like I, I did wow. everything but mix the sound. Um, so I'm really used to running shows. And there is a thing where uh, there's always a local band that's like, yeah, our set's about 25 minutes. And it's like 40 minutes in. And they're like, we got six more songs for you. And <laughs> you have to like run up and you point to an imaginary watch. And then you hold up an amount of fingers relative to how many songs they have left. So if you need to hold up your imaginary fingers to me and be like, you have five minutes per song for the, for the rest of the album. <laughs> <laughs> like, I won't begrudge you. The lead also, up if I to just, that like, was explained. Yeah, if I, if I just over-explained show promoting to y'all, I'm sorry. I don't know if you're promoters in your personal life. No, you know, that detail uh, either encouraged someone to be a promoter or you just saved someone from not being a promoter. <laughs> it's if if you if you ever wanted to work at a daycare center but you didn't want like a steady job like and you wish that it was at night then be a promoter. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever wondered what it's like stage managing for fest that's also what it's like. Yeah, oh, what a good transition to be like remember you can still sign up to be a volunteer and even if this comes out after fest just apply it to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. Again, big shouts out to Fest for having the volunteer system and the photographer pass system. They're just so as close to the community as you're going to get for being as big as they are. For the amount of you know money that has to go through their hands to pay these big artists to come yeah. through. The amount of like small bands that they fill the festival roster with who just in, in you know, if you're being a pure capitalist, have no business being there. And uh, the way that they allow so many people to like work the fest knowing that money is tight for a lot of especially like punk or alternative people especially in florida like i just i have a lot of respect for them and you know obviously tony specifically for kind of organizing the whole shebang i haven't paid for a fest because of volunteer system so shout out to fest <laughs> not saying not saying i am opposed to paying for a ticket but i don't have to and i really oh appreciate i am that that's why i started a band <laughs> 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 i wanted to get into fest for free and i was like all i have to do is waste the rest of my life easy done oh boy oh lord all right i think we can tequila move on to yeah Next more track. tequila less joe yeah track five uh, track six excuse me i mean uh my dad is a really supportive person of all of my projects despite us having like ideological differences about things which i think is honestly even more special than if he was just you know in hard agreement with everything and my dad before i was born had like a problem with drugs and his dad had a problem with drugs and alcohol and like there's like i don't want my dad to listen to this and be like i, I don't appreciate you talking about everything on on main so like <laughs> i'm just going to allude to this this has some very strong implications for me personally. And uh, the potential for this song being the story of my life is 
a big part of why I'm straight edge. Mm-hmm. On that line, especially looking at you know my father and my family, on both sides of my family, alcoholism is pretty very prevalent. Um, <laughs> you know, kind of on that on that point. And I don't mind speaking about mine a bit more because I don't I don't know if any of them listen to this. They're busy in Liberia, but on both on both sides of my family, like my grandma told me stories. Her great uncle Modin, who literally drank himself to death, is like doctor says you can't stop drinking, you can't drink, you can't do that. And he had as a food I have called dumbo. Dumbo is like a fermented. Is it fermented plantain? It's, it's a soup dish. And his sister was eating the soup, and she said, "Why does it taste like cane juice? Like 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 straight rum?" And he's like, "Oh, yeah. I put it in my soup." The doctor said, "Don't drink." He said, "Nah, I'm not drinking it. I'm eating it." He then oh my god he literally my grandma's like yeah he died like a week or so later after that okay it's pretty big on both sides and so especially growing up because I'm, I'm a junior my dad is you know senior and people are always like oh you're gonna be like your dad right you're gonna grow up be exactly like your dad i don't like people predicting stuff i think that for myself so i was really anti that and growing up i've always been worried about slipping my, my, my father is an alcoholic but that is still something that's there you know uh yeah my dad has gout my dad has gout he does enjoy drinking and sometimes it flares it up. And I'm like, I don't want that. And the whole idea that this song resonates because the idea that sometimes I think maybe one day I'm just going to end up exactly in there, no matter how hard, you know, I try, you know, like it's just, it's in the bloodstream. It's pulling yeah. me in. I'm exactly like you. And I don't, I, I don't want to be that. I don't, I don't think I will. I, I, don't, I don't think I'm on a trajectory to, you know, having an, enlarged liver but But it's the thing you have to worry about you know not everybody has to worry about that some people could just do things in moderation isn't that messed up yeah who who let them do that (laughs) (laughs) could it be me (laughs) what is moderation right like damn i only had a drink on saturday but i drank like i drank 10 different things on saturday uh within the period of like three hours you know then what's the point of me not drinking during the week at all if i'm just gonna right you know, waste it. And so, yeah, it's always in the back of my head. It's always, it's like, it's, it's always there. It's always there. And like, what will the family think 10, 20 years down the line? If that ends up and they're like, Oh, all the promise he had. Oh, yeah. how'd this happen? It's like, damn, sorry. I guess I'm like, y'all, I don't know. Yeah. You know, like this song, like the, the times I've been listening to this album, this song is one that's really been just really replaying in my head exactly because of that stuff. Yeah. I, um, I think they, Again, uh, you know, talking about characters who are speaking very plainly about their issues. I think the 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 shit tastes just like medicine, but I'll take it for what it is. It's it's very the character knows he has a drinking problem, but it's not stopping him. But he knows yep. it, you know. And it, I think people who don't have a problem wouldn't even think of that. You know, they're they're not going to be like. There's that part of your brain that wants to excuse a behavior that's like, oh, it's 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 reminiscent of something that's good for you. You know, and. And you're trying to create an excuse. And even in describing it, he's calling it shit. And he's Mm -hmm. taking that excuse that his brain wants to come up with. And he's smacking it down and being like, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing a dumb thing, but I'm doing it. And it's, uh, I think, again, it's it's just the record just nails that that idea over and over and over with these these people. I think that's what makes it relatable and painful. Um, I also think the wallet hidden under the cross line is just that that's probably the quippiest line on the the album he he's like i'm not even gonna tell you guys 
because it's so obvious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's so good. Um, but I, I, you know, I think this is the one I was most interested in because of the end of the song uh, with y'all. Because obviously, it's talking about like a miscarriage to some degree, and mm-hmm. I interpreted the "You're swimming in my bloodstream." You know, to be kind of interpreted multiple ways because like the the mother and the child share blood. And then also he's talking about a lineage of alcoholism. And I didn't necessarily even set him up. He I don't think he's the father in this case because it's talking about his father as who I assume killed himself, because like just like his father, he knew how he'd deal with things and the child is dead. And it's like I'm very confused who the narrator is in relationship to the other half of the story that's being told in this. And it's always been the one part of the record that I kind of lost track of what was going on. And I was interested in your interpretations of that. I feel like there's a lot of parts of this record where I'm not 100% sure what's going on. (laughs) 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 Yeah, so this is one of them. I mean, I definitely got that it seemed to be about a stillbirth. But no, thank you for I'm so sorry for getting that wrong. Man, technically, a miscarriage is just a early stillbirth yeah so yes I, you are you are correct and and i'm glad we were seeing that the same way oh well i didn't even think of a stillborn or a miscarriage honestly i i took it kind of kind of literal very like artistic with you know leaving the womb and the son is refusing to cry because the son is just like the father you know hard oh just like internalizing all of the feelings yeah, like it's just like the following is like, and it's that, that idea of like growing up to be like this this person that has passed, you know, because that he's swimming in your bloodstream, he's in the bloodstream, right? And it's that's such an interesting take. I really like that. Yeah, like I saw, I saw a very like almost literal artistic in a sense. I didn't even think of like the, the miscarriage, the stillborn. Wow. I mean, my thought was, you know, the first thing the child has to do is cry. Like that's right. That's yeah. Really smack the baby. I, I, I don't know anything about children. Uh, somebody somebody <laughs> please tell me if i'm wrong here but yeah usually you want them to cry <laughs> yeah so I, I that's why i interpret it that way but i i think this is one of those things where i you know assuming that the writer heard this dialogue i i feel like they'd be like you know what that interpretation rules that's what it is now like that's that's a even more like brutal thing like imagine like a stiff lip i'm not going to talk about my feelings baby it's like your first <laughs> It's your first like seconds in existence, and you're like, nah, I'm not gonna let him see me cry. Like, that's oh, that's awesome and terrifying and thought provoking. I'm I'm into that. That's my new interpretation. Mean mug baby, <laughs> mean, mean <laughs> mug newborn, just like yeah. covered in blood and viscera, like so hard. Just wow, put that on a metal shirt. Yeah, but also, yeah, it's really sad. That's yeah, really sad. That, that's. Okay, I'm glad that I'm not alone in being a little bit lost in this particular song. I do feel like that verse is kind of shoehorned in. It's not set up throughout the rest of the song, and the characters don't... This is a thing that I learned in creative writing, where I, I was doing a project, even before I was like kind of conscious of gender, I was doing a project where I was writing short stories, and I would never give the characters names. I would just say like the man or the woman or whatever, and... Uh, the the thing you run into immediately is if there's two men or two women, you know, in a room together, all of a sudden you, you have no way of describing, you know, who's who. And I think the fact that you're, at least I just assume the narrator is male because the vocalist is male, or at least, you know, has like an AMAB vocal inflection. Mm-hmm. 
then you're setting up the father as a separate character and i've completely lost track of who's who and it's just interesting that you you add one character to the mix and everything is confusing yeah so perspective lyric writers beware give your characters <laughs> names if you have to they literally did it elsewhere in the record you can just name characters yeah. <laughs> uh, on no. the topic of which uh i am a, a dingbat and uh i definitely thought on first inspection less joe than there was a person named joe and i thought beer can the next song was like like beer has the ability to <laughs> oh like like the interpret and i was like as i i don't know like grew up a couple years later i was like oh joe is coffee and beer comes in a can i don't know mm-hmm. how i missed this <laughs> <laughs> realization which is crazy because my my parents as a like a teen or whatever my dad and my stepmom worked for a coffee shop so i definitely knew that you would call coffee a cup of joe and then my dad was a bartender at one point like i i knew i implicitly know this stuff and i just i love it when i'm like so deep into these lyrics and then like the most obvious words i'm like oh oops but that's That's just fun that's just yeah. the most straight edge thing that you could possibly <laughs> Yeah, I, I got to get Woody to give me one of the straight edge shirts. <laughs> I feel like I've earned it by not knowing that beer comes in a can. So anyhow, do you all want to talk about beer can? Yeah. <laughs> beer can. I yeah. love beer can. The beginning of it really sounds like it could be a Menzinger song. I agree. I think this is one of the first songs that grabbed me because I was really into Menzingers at the time. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think... <laughs> despite the chorus this is probably one of the l- least like specifically like triggering songs mm-hmm. i don't know if y'all feel the same way but. Huh. yeah i mean i'm really obsessed with the whole i want to rip you apart i want to fix you again yeah that <sighs> if that ain't me just just the absolute vindictive hate for somebody like probably mixed with some form of care where it's like you just them dying isn't enough <laughs> and that you just you just want it to just you know to, to keep punishing them forever probably because they hurt you or you know whatever they represent some sort of hurt like what a what a great lyric i don't know i don't really have any like distinct notes on this because it's at this point in the record i feel like we've met so many specific characters and talked about such specific topics it's just a good song and it's got that nice db you know the the classic like we're at uh, finally i feel like i'm at a concert you know just a cat to cat to cat to cat to cat you know like i want i want to jump around i want to mosh i want to you know sing about my ex you know like whatever like i it's pretty straightforward in that sense and then there's still the like i was a piece of shit you know you you sent your friends after me because i was probably a piece of shit like, it's the classic like i was a fuck up but I, I feel like this is the most like fun just play to show song yeah, it's it's funny because I feel like a lot of their songs are so fun regardless of the lyrics to them. Yeah, I, I, that's that's one of the their special talents. I think I think it was starting at Beer Can. Is, is it Beer Can or, or You Have Flaws? I don't know which one, but I remember sitting and listening to it and I'm like, oh, I, it sounds like um, or reminds me of a, a V from Gutless. I'm like, oh. Oh, my God. Oh, oh. Kind of because like. I love. Oh, that is great! What a great homie! What a what a great person! Shout yeah, out to. I, I always tell people, yeah. Gutless is my favorite like Florida DIY band. It's, it's just what it is. Well, I mean, even though V lives in New York now, but for a long ass time, you carry you carry Florida with you wherever you go. You know what I'm saying? We out here. <laughs> <laughs> 
you can't, you can't leave the swamp. Or, yeah, or you're out here state. not knowing more than like 10 states because you went to Florida public school. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, yeah. I definitely agree. Big, big gutless vibes and not the other way around. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's that, that little, a nice like tremble, a quiver like on like the end of some of the lyrics. I'm like, that's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like, that's, that's right there. Gutless inspired Catherine Rosenkin. Can you believe that? <laughs> I, I think that's, that's a cool thing as somebody who also likes emo in terms of like songs that are very, very explicitly, or, you know, even the other lyrics in this thing that are very much like this lyric was written to hurt you. You know, the, the end of the last mm-hmm. song was written to hurt you. No human being is going to listen to that and not be hurt by that. Whereas this doesn't use the lyrics to display its emotions in the verses, at least it uses the the vocal delivery and it's not like overly dramatic or showboaty, but it is, I want to say genuine is maybe the word I'm looking for. It's, yeah. I don't know if it's a mixture of both the delivery and also possibly the recording process, you know, that they didn't put a bunch of filters or a bunch of compression and it allows those like the trails at the end of the vocal, like the like warble, I don't know, whatever you might call it, to mm-hmm. that feels like an authentic person really kind of shouting their heart out to you. Yep. Without being hard, low production. Hard hard agree. It, very genuine, very authentic, you know, how they did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't feel or sound like a showboaty, like it's uh even trying too hard. They don't try too hard. They said it a couple songs before. <laughs> very true, very true. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just, I love you. As you said, great concert. I can only imagine seeing them catch. Yeah, this this is the song live. I'm sure this is the the hype song. Mm-hmm. So we want to talk about your flaws, or I love That's that quite... each of these song intros is just like, <laughs> or the names is 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 a great transitional statement. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about your flaws. You know, listen, we don't need to be here for four more hours. You've only got four hours of flaws. I was being generous, Tyler. Okay. Yeah. I've got more than I can count if you could die for me again. Yeah. I mean, okay. So obviously we're, we're leading with the religious stuff again. I don't, I think it's a cool line. I don't think it's one of their most like zinger type lines, even though it's obviously setting up again, that the dichotomy of like, you know, you're, you're a bad person. You're using religion as a scapegoat or you're going through it in a sort of numb way that has nothing to do with your lived life. But, uh, I, I do like that. He kind of tackles, he's setting it up to tackle it more directly and being like, now I'm going to address the people I'm calling out in this. You know, I'm going to be like, I don't care about you or the way that you say you love Jesus when you don't, you know, act in a way that, uh, represents that and instead of being like a victorious justified character you know who's making a very fair claim like people weaponize religion for terrible means all the time he's just like i'm just gonna get really drunk now (laughs) like oh man he was so close (laughs) (laughs) i like the place of you have flaws in the album because to me it feels like it's a direct response a follow-up part two to beer can right talking about yeah. the filter and the wall there was breathing in and then and you have flaws not except the wall but still the wall cracks you know i got the cracks in bedroom doors it's like you know you left me i thought i thought i needed you i thought that's something one other thing there sent your homies after me so 
no thank you i'm just i'm gonna keep drinking though like <laughs> mm-hmm. although i'm interested in uh again y'all's take in the uh specifically the hook you know you're, you're something i wanted um but now you're just an inconvenience like that's a very haughty line that's a very condescending lyric whereas you know up to now the narrator has done a pretty strong job of being presented as at least equal party in making mistakes or that the issues in the relationships were the kind of like problems that the individual people had and then this is just being presented as like I just don't even like you. Like, I just don't even like, you're just annoying. Like it's a very uncharacteristic line, especially considering the context of the song, which is kind of specifically being like, this is an issue that I think you have. I think you weaponize religion in a bad way. Um, And I was wondering if y'all had any interpretation of that interplay because I don't personally, I, I, I think it's a great hook. I think it's one of the catchiest hooks on the record, but I don't know where it's coming from. It is so catchy. And I know like it can seem like, you know, when you call somebody an inconvenience, it seems like you're really talking down to them. But I also think that it can be from a place of talking about yourself. Like I know the way that my depression presents is that it's inconvenient for me to do just about anything and caring about things can be one of them. So you know, maybe you're something that I wanted and felt that I needed, but then it's an inconvenience for me to try to keep you around or to maintain my half of the bargain there. Yeah. Especially when, because, you know, he does come back around and one of my favorite lines on this album is, if stealing an apple gets you kicked out of the garden, do you want to know what I'm in? God, that's such a good line. Uh, Talk about a zinger really yeah, fucking good I, but then you know he's still that's still like that self-deprecation yeah i'm so i i'm cheating i'm looking up the lyrics on genius <laughs> and so the i guess like second verse where it says uh, she says if my life could be defined by all the damage i take um then give me medication reserve my seat in heaven and consider me a saint that whole phrase is in quotes so it feels like it's going from the narrator being like give me medication to the to the partner who's definitely sounds like at least if you were interpret it literally that she's like abused or something, you know, and that her whole interpretation is like, the, I guess the kind of like, I guess it's like an interpretation of Christianity. I was going to say Catholic, but it's like the reverse of Catholic. Cause Catholic is like, you take your lumps and then you do your penance and it's all cleared. Whereas this is like the lumps you take are the penance. So, mm-hmm. but it's, it's interesting that she's the one that's like giving medication. So I feel like it's, insinuating again that they kind of are both equal party to the issues but uh i think it's an interesting take august about specifically the word inconvenience because i do think that's what i got hung up on is like such a damning word you know versus uh you know like even like the the most horrible slur you can think of at least you know that's from a place of malice and inconvenience i interpret as such like it's just such a petty jab but i i totally see what you're saying about that and i do recognize you know, from the inside, that's what things feel like. You know, that hook to me, it is really snarky, but it's the most confidence we hear up to this point. I may be on the entire record because, yeah. you know, whether it's misplaced or rightfully placed confidence, it takes some gall to tell someone you're an inconvenience now, uh, especially if you have such a relationship as the narrator and this person have expressed in the other songs. And so, like, it's a confidence to say the person is an inconvenience, but 
still dwelling in so you know I don't say walling, but dwelling in your 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 own problems, right? Like you're able to cut one thing off or stop one maybe potential source of of issues, but you yourself are still buried in the guilt, buried in the pain, and what comes up next? So I think it's a really interesting way of framing that. Yeah, I like that interpretation. I like that uh like analogy you're making to that. I I completely see where you're, you're coming from, and I also see where August is coming from. I think I think that's a successful song. You know, regardless, like we all like the hook. It's a good melody. It's a catchy melody, and we're each taking something away from it. You know, it's it's I I don't want to be interpreted as like coming down on like oh the song isn't making its intent explicitly clear like the rest of them. Like I think I'm gonna give them a pass on this one and say that it's it's a good use of being vague again for maybe like the third time on the record. Yeah. I'm gonna Here. I'm gonna let it slide. I've decided. <laughs> Bang the gavel. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um yeah, we we talked about Lake earlier and I feel like we're gonna all just be like Lake so good, Lake amazing. <laughs> <laughs> There's no lake to clean me. Yeah. This album replaced Devil and God for me, but Lake, you know, like brand new has a song that's similar called At the Bottom. And um, again, this album really just, it took the void that I was feeling from having to give up something that was so cherished to my identity and like absolutely filled it. And that idea it was like pretty revolutionary for me i think and now when i have conversations with people who are like they're not exactly like super pc like i'm gonna immediately drop any band with allegations you know but they're not the other end of the spectrum that's like separate the art from the artist i don't care if david bowie kept a teenager trapped in a room for a week like it's people who are in the middle who are waffling and you know they they want to be a good person they don't want to support you know negative people or you know, they don't want to support something that was actually made from real, you know, negative stuff. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, they have, you find music, especially in your teens and 20s, that like it becomes so integral to you and you feel like it can never be replaced. And me having that experience of finding something that truly replaced it for me, it was so freeing. And I can just tell people with true confidence, like, you can keep searching for music as you grow up and you will find stuff that touches you as deeply as stuff that you, you know, I think anything you listen to when you're 20, you're like, this is my identity, even if it's garbage, you know, but as you get older, you get more discerning, but like you can find stuff that touches you that deeply. It's, it, it is possible. There's hope for all of you. If your favorite band gets canceled, just big PSA on that in case anyone needed to hear it. That's so good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, it, it's coming for all of us eventually. Yeah, everyone will need it. <laughs> but yeah, so anyhow, the depressing stuff. Yes, <laughs> we, we got more drugs. We got more er, sexual abuse. Yep, more of the cycle. However, there is a kind of a. I'm, I'm like not fully remembering looks from the other songs, but there is this, you know, a call for help, a call out, you know, so save me. Even though it isn't very direct, like help me. You know, it seems like it's snarking to someone like, yeah, you know, like someone is talking to you. It's like, yeah, I don't have any friends. I'm lonely. You know, I can't get clean. So why don't you? So just save me. You know, like if you're going to talk shit to me, just save me at this point. But it's still some kind of call for um, just some form of assistance. That's true. You know, I think this like, is probably the the first one that actually does ask for help as opposed to being just bluntly like, I'm going to keep doing the dumb thing. Yeah. All right. I know I banged the gavel before, uh, but I'm going to defer authority to y'all. The bridge. 
uh, even though my heart is made of glass and it's already been smashed, I'd give all of the pieces to you. Are we going to let them get away with that? (laughs) Because that's obviously a fall boy lyric, you know, like that's, it's, this is such an interesting, because they do have, you know, uh, pop punk by way of warp tour band musical motifs in other songs. You know, I, I think even beer can kind of approaches some of that stuff. This song is so slammy, but that lyric is so like, like saccharine sweet, you know, it's, it's so like icky, ooey gooey and I love it to death and it would make a beautiful tattoo if I was going to do a Captain We're Sinking Flash sheet, I assume that's the one that most people would get. But uh, I do feel like it is almost out of character, ooey gooey. I'll take it. I'm accepting it. <laughs> <laughs> You'll take it because you like it or because you think it fits in the rest of the album? I just think that they they have a way of making it fit somehow. That's fair. I Listen, I that's why I said I'm giving the gavel to y'all. No. S- sorry, I, I will intrude on that bridge with band lore oh no (laughs) (laughs) so this one was about my brother too (laughs) it's all about my brother guys (laughs) no so from what i I remember reading on genius um they had an acoustic demo 2011 called got my eyes set on you and they took Mm. the bridge from that and the lyrics in the bridge of that song said now you say you love me i believe these words to be true my heart is made of glass and it's been smashed, but I give all the pieces to you. And so what you see in Lake is a, almost it sounds like a reimagining, re-envisioning of ter- those lyrics turning on its head. Yeah, it's it, I mean, even just with the title of that, it feels like that song was going to be a lot more about a relationship. And it makes sense why that lyric might have been included with that, whereas this song is I don't feel like this is implied that the narrator or the character that we've been kind of following around for the rest of the album is even like necessarily in this story. Like the lake thing Mm -hmm. I'm imagining to be the, the woman being described here, you know, like I, I I feel like it it became one of their really high quality character vignettes. And then uh, they, they, they shoehorned in this, thing but i do think that this one does talk about i'm interpreting it as sex work i mean i think you could interpret it as probably just a problematic or abusive relationship with you know somebody who sleeps with their drug dealer which is unfortunately you know very common yeah um but um i i personally just interpreted it as like a sex work kind of thing and i do think that uh it's just cool whenever that particular topic is broached. I feel like a lot of people don't broach it aside from like 80s hair metal bands who were for some reason really into like working girls and and to some degree decrying the conditions in which they live because it's very like, I'm a man, I'm a white knight, save you. But Mm -hmm. um, outside of that, I I don't really hear people talk about that a lot. Um, So I think that is cool. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those ones where it's like, I, I could see the classic like, you're broken. I'm broken. I'm in love with you. I think the the motif still fits. It's just that that lyric yeah. stuck out to me is particularly sappy. It is. It it really is. And you know what? There's probably still some follow. You said it was follow boy, right? Follow boy influence. Yeah. <laughs> it's honestly both both versions probably still there. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I I feel like we've all gotten super deep with their personal relationship with you know people in their life who've had drug problems or whatever. But like this is just kind of on the nose to me. It's just it's what it is. And if you've lived through that you know 
it is what it is. Yep. I've also, you know, had friends that were in relationships with their drug dealers. I've had friends that lost all their money. I've had friends that were homeless and the, you know, they're obsessed with the idea that, that it's a thing they want. And I think if there is a clever double entendre in the song, the she says she wants it and says she needs it, I assume, you know, is could be interpreted as about the drugs or she's saying that she wants sex, but that's just a way to get drugs. And I think that's a, a clever, you know, double entendre if it was intended that way. And that uh, it's very good and specific. Hmm. I feel like we got to put like a like a link to a hotline or something after every time we talk about this shit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's rough. It's rough to uh, this uh, even the the chorus. You know, no friends. I'm so lonely. You know, the, the narrators talked about being lonely before, but usually yep. they're talking about being an alcoholic and pushing people away. And in this sense, it's you know being caught up in the cycle of you know, abuse with whatever being in a relationship and, and having substance abuse problems. Like it does push people away because they get tired of trying to. To save you, you know, they get tired of trying mm-hmm. to pull you away, and then plenty of people I know, you do everything you can for them, and then of their own volition they go back because that's, you know, there's plenty of reasons, and it does lead to being isolated. But that's when people, that's when people die, you know, is when they're actually isolated and they don't have somebody on the outside who's, you know, even keeping tenuous contact with them. Yeah, I did it again. I'm sorry. Another warning or hotline link, please. Here's to forever. Yep. On to next one. Track 10. Here's to forever. <laughs> Do y'all think that here's to forever is a an ironic or sarcastic the future is canceled? I'd I tie think... into that. Okay. Yeah. Because that, that could de- technically be the future is canceled part two, you know, if there was to be one in this particular album. I feel like the title in the title incredibly ironic. The whole Yeah. Features canceled. It's here to forever, but also how are we cheering to forever when the album is so tumultuous and we've mentioned people like people not being here for forever, right? Like, what is the right. forever we're talking about? Yeah, and the and the song closes with "It's not going to be forever." I'm leaving, you know. So like, yeah, yeah, it's definitely sarcastic, but um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I almost like I said before. Every time we've talked about them riding the line of being ironic or sarcastic, I do think that they avoid humor because i do think that humor would take away from the tones that they're setting up and i think this is probably the closest they get to humor in the thing and uh if i was them i would have been nervous you know like even i think it's the exclamation point i think if it didn't have the exclamation point it wouldn't feel so like here's to forever you know like Mm -hmm. it's a it could have been like a a more dry sarcasm but uh i would have been nervous you know, as I'm sitting there at the keyboard in the distribution being like, okay, guys, what's the song title? And, you know, your fingers hovering over the the one and the shift key. And it's like, are we going to put the exclamation point in? <laughs> Punctuation matters. And uh, y'all listening to this aspiring songwriters, whatever, like people can find your lyrics if they search for it. But the title is there in clear visibility all the time. And your choices to capitalize, not capitalize, punctuate. You know, do the thing where you smash all the letters together and don't put spaces, like all that stuff, like really distinctly affects the the listener's perception. It's the only textual thing that you know the listener's gonna see. Absolutely. Thank Absolutely. you for coming to my masterclass. <laughs> you know, the title, depending on how you punctuate that title or not or choose not to punctuate it, the whole meaning of the song, and then also that piece of the album, maybe even the album as a whole can change drastically. And I think the song would really be as you said, it'd be a much different song without that exclamation point. 
Yeah. Can y'all imagine if the title of the record had an exclamation point on it? (laughs) The future is canceled. Like that would be like schools out for summer. You know, that would feel so good. That'd be like, oh, guys, don't worry. There's nothing after this. That would be such a like a cool like pop punk traditional like some 41 style pop punk band thing to do. I would love that. We're done. The future's canceled. Yeah, yeah, do what you want. It doesn't matter. God's not real. You know, like like that that would be such a totally different interpretation of all the religious elements of the record. (laughs) But yeah, I don't uh I think it's cool that this song's intro kind of like takes us through what we were talking about in the previous song, interpreting the, you know, person with tumultuous problems and uh, just uh, like a person who's like a living cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. And then the, t- talking about specifically dri- driving the, your friends away and definitely, definitely ripping off nine inch nails. Like, let's be real. <laughs> He's got the, the crown of shit on the trash pile. Like I love the line. But I also love Nine Inch Nails. And that's okay. You're allowed to steal from Trent Reznor. It's like stealing from Walmart. It's big enough that you can steal. You're allowed. That's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Holy crap. That's so so funny. Yeah, I didn't even see that earlier, but it it absolutely is just (laughs) Nine Inch Nails to a T. I the song has this one has a lot of kind of like a a kind of a back and forth, you know, friends disappear. I drove them away. I'm looking for something. I don't remember what I'm looking for, but I found something I don't like. I don't remember what we said we'd never wait for. So, you know, I'm over it. It's like this like little back and forth going up before the end of the song. Yeah. I I, I think indecision is a big part of, I, I think that is a motif, you know, like top five motifs of the record. I think uh, mm-hmm. indecision is is one I would put up there. I guess if, if you're interested in, more Tyler lore. Um, I don't think this is on purpose, but obviously, like I said, this album being very near and dear to me, me being the lyricist of guilt, the concept of the demons I used to drink with won't listen to what I think. The the idea that like even like the terrible parts you know that were surrounding my life won't even give me the time of day anymore is definitely something that I really appreciate as like a really interesting concept. And on the conceit EP, one of the songs. I definitely know the titles of my own songs. I think it's The Shape of Tools. Um, but the, the premise is, or at least what I was thinking when I wrote it, was like that, you know, the, the little angel and devil on your shoulder was kind of like, when you die, what happens to those guys? You know, like, um, especially the devil on your shoulder is trying to sabotage you your whole life. But it's kind of like the the classic dog chasing a car thing. Like, what happens when you're dead? And, and the beginning of that song is literally about the devil on your shoulder having succeeded in killing you and then just being kind of like at a loss for what to do because, you know, the life's mission is completed. And uh, I really like that idea of almost not having like a friendship or a camaraderie, but having a connection to, to your enemies mm. and kind of their existence being a part of your identity. I, um, I'm going to sound extremely basic right now. Um, <laughs> one of my two favorite films is Watchmen. Mm. I really, I like comics. I went to my master's program that I went to was for comics. I'm big into comics. And I know that a lot of people have a lot of dislike for that because they took a book that is about the impact of literature and made it into a film about punching. But I do think that it translates a lot of the core ideas outside of things about literature. And one of my favorite parts of Watchmen is that uh, spoilers for a film that came out like two decades ago. 
one of the aging heroes is having a mental breakdown to his one of his aging arch rivals and he you know he's like you know you're the only person i feel like i can spill my guts to and isn't that messed up and i, I that that idea has forever been something i've been very 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 intrigued with and like to explore you know the the relationship of somebody's vices to their how do I not say virtues? Because I don't like Panic at the Disco. Uh, <laughs> but you, you know what I'm saying. You you understand. That was a long way to get to. You understand what I'm saying. The Watchmen analogy really. I didn't. Even, I didn't think of think of that. Look at that. Of this in this way in this song. But I mean, absolutely. Like you've you've dealt with something for so long that the only thing you can relate to outside of that is that whatever you're dealing with or that one other person gets you there. But at the same time, like in this case of the song, at this point of the album. The narrator has, put, has, has pushed away the people that right yeah even my enemies don't want to fuck with me anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i mean and you know that that girl previous song that's not there my enemies my own depression and alcoholism don't even want to mess with me i'm just gonna go sleep it's such a it is a really interesting thing that comics do portray that a lot you know fantastic also of watchmen i haven't seen the film actually i've only read the comic but uh, it's Zack snyder you know which makes me sound like I'm not encouraging you to watch it, <laughs> but like, I swear to you, I think it's one of those things where they did kind of a scene for scene and they, again, they took all the literary elements out and they did change the ending spoilers for a comic book that came out in the eighties. Um, they don't do the giant monster that was made by all the artists and intellectuals. They just do a It's, it's Dr. Manhattan. And I think it, it works as a religious motif. Uh, where it's like, as long as people think that God is watching them, they will be afraid to do bad things. And I think mm-hmm. as somebody, again, who's obsessed with religion, I think it actually works, don't tell Alan Moore, better. But uh, yeah, I, I I love this song for that concept. I love that concept in general. I've used it in my own work. I encourage everybody to get so estranged from all of life that even your own evil will not associate with you. It's Super fun association, rad, <laughs> glowing review. <laughs> oh my! Oh my God! Can we? Can we a bitter divorce it up? Yeah. Oh my God! This was my. Oh, I love the song so much. This was this was the one for me. You know, this is like I'm the only one who drives the the tour van unless I am so ill that I am physically incapacitated, and this is my everybody's asleep. It's 2 a.m. I want to cry. Like, this is it. I don't, I don't know if y'all are like, I love this song. It makes me feel good. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no, there's a there's a really good piano cover of this song. If you go to the Run for Cover YouTube page, the cover mm. is by Pedal. And it's really pretty. And I think she said something similar along the lines of, like, when she's on the bus and just wants to cry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, uh, I am. Um... I guess personal connection to this song. So I got really into this song with my my very first band and I was dating. I hey, I, I'm I'm dating somebody in guilt right now, and I was dating somebody in my first band. Obviously, I'm in a happy relationship, but like if you're listening to this, as a general rule, don't don't do that to yourself. <laughs> don't date somebody in your band. You know, like it doesn't usually work out, but uh yeah, my first band, we got asked by this kid who was really, really into us, uh, which is crazy because we were nobody, to come to his house in like BFE, Florida, and um, play like a New Year's Eve show. And there was going to be like a bonfire and other bands. But, but uh, 
So we we got to the show and we were going to do a cover of this song. And it was, you know, me and my at the time partner. And whatever, one thing leads to another. Some of these bands start grandstanding and taking a bunch of time. And we were supposed to be playing right as the ball dropped on New Year's Eve. We ended up playing at like 2 a.m. Jeez. Um, like it fell so far behind and half the kids were either drunk or had gone home. And there was like three people in the room, you know, but we played this song and that's like a core memory that I have like with that person because I like our relationship didn't last too much longer after that. And I think that we, it was one of those things where like the cracks were already starting to show. And it's like, why would, why would we put ourselves through playing this duet song together, <laughs> you know, where the whole thing is about your relationship just being falling apart and, uh, it's, this song is very, very near and dear to me for reasons that are explicitly personal, but also like, I feel like the lived experience that I had was living through the song. <laughs> um, so that's why I told the story. It's not like anyone's going to be like, oh yeah, I, I remember that. I, you know, whatever. Like I'm also dating my guitar player, but like I, I, I went through the actual thing. And if you want to know if it is as painful in real life as it is in the lyrics, yes, yes, it is. Damn. <laughs> sorry i don't know if you all want to trade stories about dating your bandmates or no but by definitely relating to the experience of seeing the cracks in your relationship with person i dated i dated in college and seeing like you know when things just don't work out as you try no matter how hard you try and something happens whether it's amicable or whether you know a mallet breaks the wall and the cracks still fall out yeah it really does feel like you're dead again after yeah, I guess if I can deepen my personal lore to, I guess, create more of a negative perception of myself, which is really my goal by the end of this um, <laughs> podcast. Because like, I feel like, like, especially, you know, August, you know, I've been in your house and every time we hang out, we're just playing board games and I'm never telling you stories where I'm specifically the asshole. <laughs> so I feel like I really want you to question if I'm allowed over for game night again. So as I was originally, you know, saying I, I wasn't, I wasn't a very empathetic person you know in 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 tyler like version 1.0 but again i'm not trying to do the thing where i'm like shouting out my diagnosis and being like therefore you know whatever like i'm sure a huge part of this is just my personality Uh, it's very hard to disentangle behaviors that are uh, when you have a thought disorder it's not the same as having like a chemical imbalance or something you know a thought disorder is a thing that is created uh by your environment and and you can unlearn the behaviors through putting a lot of time in and consciously doing it. So again, I'm not whatever shouting out, but yeah, my, my whole personality profile is uh, being very morally rigid. And um, when I was in the transitional phase where I was becoming empathetic towards people and I was really opening my, like my mind and heart to people who are troubled, but I was still not done dealing with all my original personal baggage. I find that I'm very drawn to people who are troubled or, you know, whatever. Like, I'm not going to say like damaged. I think that's like a weird itemization of a person, but uh, I think it comes from a place of care. I want to help. I do have a lot of privileges in my life. I do have a lot of resources available to me that a lot of people don't have, but also, you know, in the back of my mind is that almost like narcissistic. I know how to fix you. I know how, if you just listen to me, I can put you on the right path. You know, like I have, I have the correct morality. I have the correct, you know, attack plan. And I think the concept the narrator is portraying is I loved you more when you were sad. And 
like that that is so specific again to me and to my lived experience and and is something that I I still deal with. You know, it's like I don't ever want to feel like, you know, I'm specifically going after people because they're vulnerable. I always want to feel like I am truly trying to uplift somebody, but then also accepting the limitations of if somebody who needs help says that they don't want help, you can't force that. And that's been a huge life lesson, you know, for me. And, you know, in, by contrast, you know, some of the characters we've met before who like, you know, might need to be hospitalized or they're going to die. There are times in your life where you do need to take somebody's autonomy away and deciding, making the split second decision of when to take somebody's autonomy away and when to make a gentle suggestion or when to just keep your mouth shut completely. Those dividing lines and the spectrum between them is is been one of my like largest life struggles. So that's why I very specifically harp onto the extremely specific lyric in this song and then the the reply from the partner of you stop being my medicine became my disease like is the kind of inversely problematic you know there's a point where you can enable somebody by, or, or you end up sort of uh, crippling them by cr- creating a codependency like you can't be somebody's medicine like you you can be there to pick them up when they fall and to keep them from falling completely down the hole but you you can't fix a person and even if you had the ability to it's extremely unhealthy to do that for both of you because it sets up a, a terrible power dynamic mm-hmm. so like i really really like again the accountability of the narrator straight from the get go where it's like i had an almost weird predatory you know it, the, the negative version of it is a predatory the positive you know idea is like i just you know i cared about you so much i thought i could fix you which is again fucked up and then leading to the the partner being like i was overly reliant on you. And the reason I'm leaving our relationship is because, you know, you weren't the crutch that I wanted. And it's like, that's, that's so painful and so real to my experience in both regards. Mm. And then the, you know, just ending with like, and I, I know that uh, I'm dead again is the technical end, but in my mind, the, I deserve to be happy is attached to the, I am dead again. Yeah. Like, I think those two ideas, it's like that, that is, the second time maybe the narrator has made a statement that is positive towards himself and it's like so you know so much of this record is just like i'm a piece of shit i'm a piece of shit and then you know we're getting towards the end of the record we're hitting the saddest song and it's like i deserve to be happy but i'm dead and i'm just like yeah that's 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 the any any small spark of not crying i have left is i'm just wrung out like a fucking washcloth yep sorry for the monologue i hope that that meant anything to anybody who hears it I mean, I agree with the monologue. Yeah, you got that succinctly. Just being in a relationship that almost feels like it's like you and the person are rotting and you can't stop it. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a uh, it's a brutal song. Great song for long drives. I've heard that. And when you said that, I'm playing the song 2 a.m. Perfect. But it is it's soul crushing. And like this song, a lot of the songs on this on this uh, record are really straightforward, but yet they're still, you know, soul crushing, mind piercing because of how earnest and straightforward everything is, right? It really brings you into the scenario that is being played out. And now I feel like I'm leaving someone because I have to. Yeah. I, we we were in the van. I don't know I don't know why guilt is like this. Like you know how like most emo bands are just like preppy rich kids who bought some clothes <laughs> and you know whatever like daddy owns a recording studio. You remember Miley Cyrus's brother, but um, <laughs> I 
guilt is actually composed of people who are like very unwell <laughs> like like to our detriment there's a reason we keep stumbling over stuff because everybody just has very real problems and so one night in the car we're like what's the saddest song you can think of like what's the what song can you weaponize against yourself and i don't know why this is the like competition we were having but that's just like the most guilt interaction to have and uh this song was on here for me. And of course, you know, we're playing uh, Touche Mori's Flowers and You. Mm-hmm. And then we're playing um, What Sarah Said, Death Cab, which is funny because I brought that up because it's referenced in the Touche song. And uh, what is, I think the winner was the Death is Real by Mount Erie. Oh. Or it's called Real Death. But um, this song definitely is up there with songs that you can listen to and mourn a relationship, but also you can weaponize against yourself because you know again this uh, this band this album is so good at admitting that they are the problem and just constantly reminding you that you know whatever if you are inserting yourself you know that you are the problem and that you you did cause things to happen and there's no there's no safety there's no part where where you get to be like I, I, you know i wasn't the bad guy this time it's just like no you're you're constantly the bad guy Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you gotta live with what you did or what you yeah. do right yeah yeah exactly i don't know does anyone else have a really long diatribe about mistakes in their life or just me <laughs> <laughs> i mean i've i've definitely gone through a lot of breakups in my time but nothing that i guess i think of i'm always worried that something will happen like this where it is that sort of slow burn do you, oh this is gonna be if this is prying too much august please let you know just be like <laughs> shut the fuck up tyler but you you mentioned depression and you you know so the, the way your depression manifests and you know it, when you said you've been in a lot of relationships i was like that's not possible because you've been dating woody forever but like do you ever fear in general, you know, as a person who's entering a relationship who is, I assume, upfront about, you know, your mental health stuff, do you ever fear that either your partner may not like you if you get better because they don't even know who that person is or that, you know, you might end up with somebody who really is just like a like a fixer and like, you know, that's that's their joy and like once you're an independent person that some of the spark of the kind of like the bad version of romance would be lost like this is a thing i've talked to or talked about with other people who have depression and i i feel like that's a, a common story is like i don't know who i am outside of my uh, mental health issues and i don't even know that person and i'm afraid a partner doesn't know who that person is and it feels like they're dating depressed me and that's who they have to stay with yeah. if that's too invasive kill me (laughs) no i mean if anything i feel like the opposite i mean what and i have been together for so long and i think there were a lot of things that i was able to sweep under the rug for a long time that i'm just not able to anymore so which is good right i guess but that manifests in me being more depressed than I was when we met. So mm. it feels like I've kind of trapped him into a relationship with a with a more bitter me. And so so you're like the opposite of the intro of the song. Like you're you're worried that the narrator would be like I I liked you before you were sad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I feel like that's the logical, you know, thing is that people who have trauma are like, people aren't going to like my trauma, but I, I think that this presents an interesting inverse that is also equally true, mm-hmm. but yeah, sorry for deep diving. I, uh, I don't know. I'm just, just curious. I, I not to, you didn't specifically mention mental health stuff to my knowledge. So I wasn't sure if I could probe you about that. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, I honestly, I, I kind of can't be probably, I have not really dealt with, um, any stringent, uh, any mental health circumstances, mental health issues. And so it's one of the reasons why I really much am thankful for the music I've found and listened to because it helps me really understand and talk and see into a lot of issues people, you know, my friends, my partners have dealt with or dealing with or have gone through. And it helps me better open up myself. You know, of course, I, I don't have, I don't have, no one has, I don't have a perfect, you know, days sure. mental health or whatnot but i don't have i've you know i've never it's things on the levels of you know a, a breakdown extended bouts with depression you know anxiety uh anything really you know like ideation and so for a long time all those things were extremely foreign to me especially in an african household talking about those things don't talk about it just pray you know like this is yeah like and i'm sure she can relate to that like why am i talking to you and then also, you know, black households, African households being very afraid of therapy and a lot of medication for, for good reasons, especially in America, for good reasons, has been weaponized against us. But like it's uh, it, it's still it, it lingered, you know, so for a long time, honestly, until I was like fucking probably 22, 23, I didn't really have like this conscious through line understanding of dealing with mental health up at that point when I hit 18, 19 building up and growing with alongside it, having friends that were open talking about it, vocal about it. When originally I rarely knew anyone in high school that would, that would talk about it as such. So on that end, you know, I can't really talk too much on that end, but that's yeah. fair. It, again, me being in an emo band myself, obviously this is kind of the eternal question is, you know, when you're making something like this, are you normalizing the behavior in a way that helps reduce stigma and does help people kind of like what Natu was saying, or are you in some way aggrandizing it because you are turning it into a a commodified entertainment? Are you, you know, and to some degree living in a capitalist society, you have an incentive to make money off of it and, you know, and Mm. to kind of indulge it in a certain way or twist it in a way. And in that way, kind of like expose people who maybe shouldn't be exposed to it or like it, you know, creating a culture, especially like we were saying like this band doesn't do it, which is why I'm, I'm so into them. They, they are very plain clothes. Just, you know, you would assume that, you know, they work at the mill down the street or, you know, they're a bartender, but like you, you don't see them trying to showboat it, but I do feel like there is a danger of that. And that's like an eternal, it's a fear I have. It's, you know, like I don't want someone to ever like self-harm to my music, you know? Even like some like My Chemical Romance lyrics, I feel like they're so important and their message was so important, but in the wrong hands or without context or dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Just musician fear I have. Yeah. And I don't know if there's an easy answer to it. Yeah. I don't know. I I feel like the closer kind of tackles the main themes. I feel like that's the topic I wanted to get from the you know, from the closer, from the album as a whole in like whatever in summation, like he's hitting again in um, what's the closer track shoddy workmanship. Yeah. <laughs> of course the, 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 the full circle from adultery, you know, the, the, I, I, I'm in a pile of shit of my own making 
and uh, I have religious trauma and I'm an alcoholic, you know, like those we've, we've well trod this ground, but uh, the reason I care about it is because of the context that the album exists and not just the merits of each individual song. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do y'all have anything specific about that song? I just like how it motions back to brother and oh my god oh justice yeah we've got that refrain that is really familiar but it like you said earlier it's a really good way to to end the album on it yeah and i mean obviously there's themes but like even lyrically i kind of thought that the um the taking shots yeah taking three shots for i guess the three days of the resurrection or whatever and like that i assume that was hearkening back to the you're drunk off wine but you're sobering up with bread like i i very if not distinct literal connection to the lyrics, you know, obviously the thematic full circling is just, it's just, it's a masterclass in it. Yeah, I agree. It's every theme referencing the other songs. I love that. The, someone mentioned that ounce of wine resolved me of all my sins shot of Mary two for your son. I just, I just love that. And just this constant, just beating down. I'm drunk and I'm worn out. I can't sleep. Um, <laughs> And also the the, the narrative mentioning the irony, the self defeat of giving up the crutch, the self defeat. What's the crutch like? Alcohol or whatever, like what you're wallowing in, and being self feeling like you feel like you're you know, defeated, having to give it up. I think it just hits all salient points, and I think it's really important that the song ends with that callback to brother, you know, because it's the, the album. The songs are not incredibly hopeful. Uh, you don't know what the next day is going to bring, so it's kind of to me. I kind of see the last few lines you know things have to change my brother are you okay kind of like i don't know if things will change how it's going to change all i can do is check up on you right i don't know how we're going to be tomorrow or even today but all i can do is hey how are you something really simple and i think it's really important that the last song ends on that note yeah and i i do again want to just musician out for two seconds and be like i think that they also do the callback in the musical motifs the fact that this starts mm-hmm. with the the big kind of epic tom build is just like adultery push pit like pop punk you know beer can kind of stuff and then when it lays into the verse it's just the the very classic palm muted four chord like it's presenting musical motifs that are similar and then it's saying like hey we could have just made this as kind of like a normal pop punk song the whole time we just wanted you to know we could have done that and then we're going to bring back melodic and structural and lyrical motifs on top of that. Like it's, I think if this song, if you just showed me this song itself, I'd be like, that's a pretty good song. But if you show me the song in the context of the record, I'm like, that's, that's amazing. Yep. So anyhow, that's why I like this album. This is absolutely the longest that we've recorded so far. So congratulations. (laughs) Literally just cut out anything you want. I, you can't ask me to talk because I will. I'll leave that to August. Um, In closing, we normally ask what it is that you are listening to right now. This is going to be such a far cry. Uh, I've only gotten halfway through, but I'm, I'm excited to listen to the new pain of truth record. Like I'm in my, I'm in my hardcore era right now. So I'm just listening to the most like brain dead, like I'm gonna call you a bitch and then write a riff that has two chords in it. You know, like I was so estranged from masculinity for so long in music until this like very current generation of hardcore. And I realized how tongue in cheek a lot of it is. Like they'll probably still beat you up in real life. Like don't get me wrong. But the 
there's like a, a cherished love for the genre that a lot of bands are displaying right now but they also realize how silly goofy it is to just be like, I'm so tough. And that's the whole song that I feel like it's opening up to a lot of people in a fun way right now. So I'm, uh, I'm having a lot of fun with hardcore TLDR. Hardcore is having such a moment right now. Oh my God. Yeah. I, 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 I'm thankful to uh, turnstile and tsunami for really opening it up for everybody. All right, friends. Thanks for joining us. Uh, if you'd like to follow us on Facebook or Patreon, we are there at Best Friends Forever. We're on Instagram at Best Friends Forever Pod. And you can reach out old school by sending an email to bestfriendsforeverpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Thanks, so much.